Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I am your host Andrew Pearson, and alongside me, as always, is my co-host Sean Gray. Hello. Drowning out that lonely goat herd, the sound of some F1 turbos word after a Russian attack left the Dutch crowd all flat. Seems that the last lap is now the watch word. <laughs> I wondered where that was going there after the first line about the goats. But <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I, I kind of like with Austria and goat herd. I was kind of like, I'm definitely going to put that line in. And then I had to build the poem from there, and it kind of, <laughs> it, you we know, got we got there. there. Yeah, got do you know there, what I mean? Man. Got a nice little pun on the uh, on the podcast name. It's you know, it's pretty good, pretty good. And we, uh, yeah, a very fitting uh, name of our, our show, given the the nature of the race <laughs> at Austria, which all yes. seemed to revolve around the last lap. <laughs> what did you make of it then? Well, ah, uh, interesting in. In a way, uh, sadly, a bit kind of indicative of, of where F1 is falling flat this season. In, in uh, the races are kind of set in stone a little bit um, when they're like this. You know, uh, people are stuck on the strategies that they that they kind of go into, and unless something like really weird happens, like a like a Baku. Uh, then people have a tendency to finish in and around roughly where they're supposed to finish. Do you know, and it kind of, kind of all evens out uh, in the end. It's not like there's you know lots of jostling for position necessarily. It's the nature when there's a, a set in stone one stopper that it's it's one of my people know I moan about it all the time. I hate one stop races that, that because everybody just does the same thing. Nobody, there's no, you can't like a guy like Perez or something in the Force India can't do a contrary strategy really because there isn't really one. Just everybody does a one-stop and that's it. So like you say, they tend to just finish in order kind of thing. There's nobody able to make up a massive chunk of places through being a bit a bit quirky on, on strategy. Like, like a, a Perez is the best example because he'll... You know, there'll be a three-stop race and Perez will be strapping on a set of tyres for 49 laps and trying to make it a one-stop race all of a sudden. You get him, you know, in and around the podiums while everybody else is stopping and then the other guys have got to come back through and get past him if he's going long, that kind of thing. When you have a one-stop strategy like we had here, there was just, there was nothing really, none of that going on to create any, any sort of, I don't know what's the right word, madness up and down the, the order i suppose <laughs> i think the thing is is that we're we're suffering a little bit from the fact that um so kind of pirelli caved in and, and made harder tires really in that um the fact that the ultra softs now seem to be able to do like 30 laps mm-hmm. kind of means you know you are, are always going to run the ultra soft uh tire whenever it's applicable because there's no real there's no big race penalty to, to, you know, running it. It's not like it goes super, super fast and then drops off a cliff at, at some point. So you've got to be really careful about kind of 
It also felt averaging out the grip that it can give you. It it just goes and goes and goes, and then they say, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's starting." You know, not as good as it was, but we've done half the race now, so I can strap on the alternative boot and then off I go. Whereas if if only did like sort of ten percent of the race at best, then you know, and and there was a big difference. People might suddenly go, "Well, do you know what? I could do a three stop, you know, two two ultra soft runs and a." you know and a soft run or a, you know a two stopper to to mm. start on the ultra soft do another ultra soft and then do a super soft at the end and really rag the tires out because i know i can make up i'll be so much faster than anybody who's trying to run on the slower tire but it just doesn't really work, end up working like that it turns out that there's half the time you know like a couple like a couple of tents between the tires and it's not enough for anybody to do anything different or make up if things you know they you know get a bump at the start and get knocked down places it's just you're as fast as your car is and it'll get you to you know the first car that you can't overtake and then run your race from there and that's that's why you end up i think with these kind of races where you're waiting and waiting for stuff to happen and it has a tendency to come later on in the race when some cars are in slightly better conditions than others you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't have noticed, if it wasn't for the colours on the side of the tyres, you wouldn't really have noticed any difference between the ultras and the super softs here in terms of pace and, and um, the length that they could run them. There was, it, was very, it was very negligible. Let's see, a tenth, couple of tenths maybe. But There were people but, on the softs, weren't there, when, when yeah. other people were on the ultra softs and it didn't seem like, you know... That much different in pace. They were either. dropping back a second and a half a, a lap That's or it. anything like you, that. You it need was... there to be three quarters of a second between the two compounds sort of as a, a minimum. And Pirelli do their best. You know, we're not really having a pop at Pirelli because it's tough to get that it's tough to get it perfect and at some tracks it is it is good but this was just unfortunate at this particular track and and the nature of the track with such a short lap and mm. um it's easy for them to get strung out a little bit quite early long uh, quite early on and you'll have like five seconds between each car and it kind of just doesn't go anywhere for large chunks of the race and like you said until the very end when everything's kind of the fuel's down tires are at their, at their weakest and people be nursing other bits and bobs that have uh, happened through the race, so that's when you get the drama on the on the last couple of laps. So, yeah, I mean, if you think well, about it, Hamilton saved a set of fresh ultrasofts, and it did nothing for him. Like, why now? Why would you bother? You might as well just say, "Oh, well, you know, if it's not going to make seconds of difference by the time I strap them on, compared to everybody else, you know, running around on." on super softs and i know it's not every track but you know it, it leads to people just being like well i'll just burn up all my tires and quality and then we'll just do the minimum number of runs that we can uh stops that we can get away with <clears throat> that doesn't lead to the variation that we we really want in a race isn't it it's not about so yeah one-stop strategies are a bit of a kind of one-stop strategy is fine when it's a, and the whole field is a lot a lock-in for a one-stop strategy, and there's no other viable alternative. It's definitely my one of my real pet hates because then you end up with less pit stops, and and then and that's just another variable taken out the window. Like someone could lose a a wheel nut or something in the pits. Uh, if the more often the pit in, the, the increased chances that something like that could happen, and it just creates a little bit more interest. You know, like. 
you know, you've got Bottas out in front, uh, in front of Vettel, but if Bottas had to come in again with 10 laps to go, at least you know, well, Vettel's not really got the pace to catch him, but Bottas has still got to navigate his pit stop. And, you know, we've all seen how often things can go wrong in the pits. So it just takes away, there's a, 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 there's a layer of unpredictability that was missing from, from this race with the, with the strategy. That said, though, those last two laps were great. Yeah, <laughs> I thought Vettel was going to get him. I really did. Um, <coughs> Valtteri, credit where it's due. Hamilton obviously had his um, his gearbox problem, um, five place grid drop, but he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been on pole anyway. Valtteri had the had the measure of both Lewis and Seb in uh, in qualifying. So I think good. it'd be I think it'd have been interesting if we'd gotten to that point, and it'd have been interesting what the Mercedes team would have done with uh, like three or four laps to go when Vettel was quite clearly hunting down. And if both Mercedes were in the same, you know, at the same touch of tire deg and um, same speed, what, what, what they'd have done with it, they'd have just said, you know, you finish as you are, if you can't pass or whether they, you know, we're trying to say, well, look, we've only got a limited window. Valtteri, you got to let Lewis through so he can score maximum points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't have to because Lewis was, you know, demoted down for his engine penalty so they were kind of spared the 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 it would have been very interesting you have to think that at some point in the next five or six races as a as a likelihood that they will be faced with a situation like that and it will be very interesting to see how quick they are to to get on the, the problem they've bottas. got the problem they've got now is that um bottas is closer to hamilton than hamilton is to yep. ferrari so Spot they're now on. there is now nowhere there's now not the big gap to say, well, look, you know, uh, Valtteri's doing very well, but he's not winning races. He's he's won two races now. So, you know, it's it's not like you can't say he's a viable world championship contender anymore. Um, which means now, if he's out first like this and there is a chance to swap him over for whatever reason, you know, you can't, you can't really justify it anymore. You can't say, oh, well, you know, Lewis is, is clearly, you know, Lewis is... 40 points ahead of Valtteri at this point or, you know, 50 points ahead of him, it, you know, you know, Valtteri's not going to overhaul that on his teammate in the last, in, in the next few races or anything. Although, you know, technically they could. Um, so we're, we're, we're going to maximise the points for our driver who's leading the cha- who's leading our best chance in the driver's thing. It's, it's That's kind of gone away now, whereas Ferrari don't really have to worry about that. If Ferrari wanted to ask Kimi to move over for... Uh, for Vettel, then fans wouldn't be happy about it because Kimmy's popular. But I think they'd go, yeah, but you know, Kimmy's, you know, not scoring the same points as Sebastian. Um, so if the choice Kimmy doesn't is, look it, like winning a race anytime soon, whereas Bottas looks like he could win a race, but if, if he's he won two, so. yeah. Like, <laughs> but, but when he's when he's not winning them, he's he, yeah, he's, he's, he's not that far off, really. Yeah, is he, he's yeah. close enough where you realistically you could it wouldn't be out of question for Bottas to rattle off a couple of wins in a row like whereas you just don't feel that at all with Kimmy like even no and, even and at a Ferrari uh, friendly track so yeah and at, at this point do you know what I mean if it was a case that Ferrari as a team score the same amount of points then you know as long as there isn't a risk uh, in doing it why wouldn't they swap them over why wouldn't they say right we, we push push the lead driver as far as they can especially with the big with how big the points gap is between first and second. You know, it's different if it's second or third, where you know it's it's 
it's less points between them. But the difference between that 25 for first and um, I can't remember what it is for second now. What is 18. it for second? 18? That's a big old chunk of change to mm-hmm. consider about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, It'd be very interesting to see what happens because we're so used to having Mercedes have Nico and Lewis going at it like hammering tongs for literally like four years now. So it's like a, it'll be a very different dynamic for them to deal with um, in terms of how they how they play that. And will Valtteri just do the thing and 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 move her, or will he say, you know, I'm I'm in this world championship as much as anybody, like kind of thing. So obviously he's the one without the contract for next year, so he's going to be feeling uh, you know a little bit of heat. Does he do the right thing for? that the team want him to do and keep his drive shared or does he upset the apple cart you know plus there's <clears throat> there's all of these sort of veiled whispers isn't there around hamilton and what he really wants to be doing with it with his life and how much he um you know how much the lure of doing other things outside of f1 is to him compared to maybe uh not the racer in him because i think that's quite clearly with you know um, the way that he talks in the press when things don't go his way, he, it clearly matters to him. Um, but whether he looks at it and goes, "Well, look, you know, look at the hassle I get, look at the negative stuff I get on social media," um, I'm tired of being, you know, fifty percent of the time the the bad guy in Formula One to somebody. Um, I could just go off and do my own thing. My fans will follow me because they're my fans, and the F1 fans will slowly disappear into the, you know, into the darknesses somebody new comes along for them to to rail against. Um, and he could probably do that anytime he wants to, presumably. You know, if he said, oh, I really don't fancy it, I'm going to retire, I'm going to go. Um, and then where are, where, are, where are Mercedes then, really, in terms of um, pushing the talent up? And you, you can kind of look around and you go, well, Red Bull has obviously got talent up to the gills, so... You know, they're not worried about their future. They're worried just about making sure that they can maintain that stable, ironically, it's the other way around. Ferrari have some good prospects on the you know, on the on the cusp. You know, Grosjean is sort of semi under contract as a as a Haas driver. Um I don't know what that makes Magnussen these days as well. Do you know what I mean? I wonder if they look at how well Magnussen's been doing recently and just go, hmm, you know. Wonder, Perez you know, is the one that's always talked about. Perez is always being asked. So. Absolutely. Um, I reckon they and, might. Um, sorry, mate. Can sorry, I just. Uh, yeah, carry on. Sorry. And you even look at teams like like McLaren. Uh, you know, they've got Lando Norris. Uh, they've got um, Nick DeVries. They've obviously had K Mag and uh, they've got Stoffel Van Dorn. You, you know, they've got a successful junior program that seems to be coming through. Mercedes have got Ocon sort of hanging around at Force India, who seems to be proving that he's got sort of pace, yeah. proving possibly that he's not necessarily got all of the racecraft that he needs behind him to be ready to do it. Verlein is ahead of Ericsson, but that doesn't really tell you very much because I think most Formula One drivers are probably <laughs> ahead of Marcus Ericsson, really. Um, you know, if you, if you really compare it, um, Fred Nazar was. Really, mm-hmm. he w- yep. was ahead of Ericsson. So, if Fred Nazar wasn't good enough for being poached onto to whatever, then why is where's Verlon going to sort of suddenly make 
Mercedes sit up and take notice. They obviously took Bottas from Williams because he's got a relationship with Toto and and all of those sort of bits and pieces. But that's not kind of their. Do you know what? That, do you know what I'm trying to say here? That he's not their driver. They've mm-hmm. just gone into the market and found yeah. the best available sort of. Yeah. Well, to use the football analogy that we sometimes use, is that they're not bringing people through the academy. They're just buying the you know the best talent on going out and spending a big transfer fee and getting the best talent and which is you know more than one way to skin a cat i suppose but <clears throat> but these yeah. days the problem is is that the people who are coming through into formula one are all tied into young driver programs or you're, they're having to be plucked from fairly relative ex- obscurity isn't it to to come in so do you know what i mean like they, they can't buy an existing driver because most of them are contracted up the wazoo do you know what i mean these people are all tied into the de- de- deals that they're going to have to wait two or three seasons to expire. I mean, look at look at Verstappen. Like everybody's saying, oh, he, you know, going to be in a Ferrari, but <clears throat> only when his Red Bull contract finishes because Red Bull aren't going to say, ah, oh, yeah, gone. Off you go, Max. Go and join Ferrari. It's well, well if you're not going to re-sign with us, then we're going to keep you for the number of seasons that you're signed to us, and then you can go. And in that time, you'll have to hope that Ferrari still want you at the end of it. Um, <laughs> And you just walk down the grid and you start thinking, you're going, but it is, you have to go to like um, Force India before you start finding somebody who they can just probably go up to and wave a contract under the nose of and off he'll totter and the, the team probably won't get in his way about it. Um, if you're challenging for world titles, and especially if you're replacing somebody like Lewis Hamilton, per se, uh that's not really, that's not like for like, is it? <laughs> Shall we well, say? Yeah, yeah, I guess they're they're obviously not, I don't think they're expecting Lewis to go anytime soon. So I don't, the pro, it's probably not even in their, you know, in their minds at the moment. You wonder if Rebel said that when Vettel left. Yeah. I yeah, they I think the, I think the, um, they probably would have. They wouldn't. They, they certainly wouldn't have expected to have to all of a sudden look for a, a vital replacement. I think that's fair. Um, I don't think anybody really expected that. We. I was as shocked as I've been at a Formula One driver move for a long time when that happened, and I think it probably showed that they ended up with Fiat in the car that who probably wasn't ready. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one at Mercedes. <laughs> You get the feeling they'll just cross the bridge when they come to it, and if Lewis jacked in, they'll just take a look around and go, right, who's the best, and just throw money at it, you know? And if it means they have to throw a load of money at it, they have to throw a load of money at it. That's the kind of vibe I get from them. Yeah. Seems just odd, doesn't it, from what you might consider to be a fairly well-oiled team in, in terms of how they go about stuff. But, you know, but then you get things like the Paddy Lowe thing, doesn't it? Like Paddy Lowe suddenly just disappears off to Williams and you're kind of like yeah. that was kind of you know don't know where that came from little, little was, there wasn't an awful lot made of that either you know they didn't get as much sort of column inches as it might have done that's quite a big deal triple world champion team and their main boy just disappearing off and uh, not a lot I mean, they've said so they've replaced him with um, sort of James Allison haven't they that's the mm-hmm. that's how it's kind of worked around so maybe they felt that, that Allison was better than than Paddy, but it it seems very weird to take somebody from directly from the pit wall in the way that Paddy Lowe was and replace him with James Allison, who is really a sort of behind the scenes guy, isn't he? He's not a um, he's not an upfront kind of 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's not a face, is he? That he pops up in, doesn't he? Time every now and again, mm-hmm. um, you know, on a grid walk or something like that, or somebody catches him. But a bit like Adrian Newey, do you know what I mean? Adrian Newey, he's in and around Red Bull and, and can be wherever he wants, but he's not the he's not the pit wall guy in the way that Paddy Lowe was. So I just it, it, it's all really weird the way that Mercedes go about things like that. Um, with most other teams, you can kind of follow the logic and follow what they're doing and how they're doing it. And Mercedes always seems to like, in a way, grabbing Hamilton was kind of left field in its own sort of way. Um, That's what I, I mean, mean. Like, they just obviously grabbing him was is obvious, but it just kind of happened, didn't it? You wonder mm-hmm. how planned that was. How long did they plan that? Was that always the plan? Was Hamilton always the plan, or? Was he not, or did they have Nico and Shumi on board, and then that didn't work out as well as they were hoping? So they suddenly went right. Let's, like as you say, let's yeah, chuck let's some money at this. And... Yeah, who's available? Oh, Lewis is Lewis wants to go. All right, we'll take them then. How much is that going to cost? They just, you know, take a look around and when there's a gap in their car, okay, who's the best driver we can get, and how much will it cost? Rather than having any kind of long-term plan, even with Nico going as well, it was kind of like so. Who is the best we can get at this given time? And it was probably Bottas. Of the guys that they were able to get, Bottas was probably the sort of best available. And so it, it does feel like they just they, like, they just deal with it as it comes. So fair enough, I suppose. I don't think... Uh, to, yeah. No, I'm just... I don't think they'll be losing any sleep over it. <laughs> no, and I, I don't think they'd lose any sleep if Hamilton went, if I'm completely honest. Because yeah. I, I just kind of get the feeling that, that they are like we'll have the best that we can possibly afford to, to buy. Do you know what I mean? We'll have what's the rest of If Hamilton leaves, as long as he doesn't leave to another team, I think that's the only thing that they would be bothered about. If Hamilton wants to leave F1 and not do F1, they'll go, all right, that's fine. Hello, Daniel Ricciardo. How do you fancy a Mercedes drive if we can pay Red Bull enough money to let go of you? Because they might, because they might think that having signs and Verstappen going forward is the better long-term you know, partnership or... However, you know, however they look at it, or you know, uh, Ferrari are knocking on Verstappen's door, so why don't we suddenly start doing it as well? We can probably outbid Ferrari, you know, depth of pockets wise. Temp Max to see where he was going, you know, all of these sort of little bits and pieces. I feel that that's probably just what they think they can do, and just see what what they can do. I guess all a bit like I say, I I struggle to follow the Mercedes train of thought a lot of the times in what they decide to do about stuff. They seem to have a very idiosyncratic way of working that isn't, that isn't normal F1, shall we say. But then they're, they're really a new team, I guess, in a lot of ways, aren't they? If, uh, if you kind of think about it, it's a team, team brought together on the Mercedes dollar um, from 2010, really, isn't it? That's, mm-hmm. that, that's yeah. kind of the, the sort of thing. And I suppose that's seven years now. So, but Toto wasn't really doing anything in F1 before that, was he? Not 100 percent sure. Uh, you know, and then you sort of get, and then it's you bring in Ross Braun and you bring in Paddy Lowe and you bring in this and you, you kind of bring in that. Um, and it is a bit like the the sort of Chelsea way of doing stuff, isn't it? It's just that well, we'll just buy what whatever we feel out there is gonna looks good. And then we'll work out how it will kind of fix together later, maybe in a sort of mad scientist way. We'll, we'll get all the body parts and stick it together. And hopefully if we sh- shock some lightning through it, it will be alive. 
it will be a fast racing car. I don't know. It's very odd. Anyway, let's get back to the race as was. Um, yeah, I think he came. I think Total just came in in two thousand and nine with Williams. I don't think he was in yeah. involved involved really before then. So. I mean, he he was a he was a racing manager, wasn't he? He did, was with a lower team or something like that. I'm sure beforehand, but it just like it, like you say, just suddenly two thousand nine. Suddenly, there's a Total Wolf. A wild Toto Wolf appears, <laughs> and now he's one of the most recognisable, you know, biggest, biggest characters in the paddock. So, mm. uh, so back to the race. Uh, Bottas's start, the manufactured controversy for this race. Well, what, what did, what was your take on it? Uh, it's fine. It was. It was within the. It was within the. You know, it's not. This is. This is a black and white issue for me. There's a. There's a time that it has to be within, and he was within it, so it's fine. There's no. There's no grey there. Was he? You. You can't be half and half. He either did or didn't, and he didn't. So end thread. You know, kind of thing. Like, I, I, my gut feeling watching it at the time was, I think he'll be okay. And then when the data came through, it was like, yep, that was my gut feeling. I think he's okay. He is okay move on and seb's little comment at the end of the race like, i think i was saying a little bit of jest i don't think anybody <laughs> i don't anybody... think it was i think it was just like i don't believe it which is <laughs> which is, is i'd have probably called that a jump start but if it's not oh well there you go or you know yeah you may say it was 0.21 but uh <laughs> for the difference it made it's a bit more than that or, or whatever which is fine do you know what i mean um, there's a big difference between that and then calling somebody a disgracer or, or something like that, or <laughs> I, I guess calling, telling Charlie Whiting to f off or something like that. So mm-hmm. he's he's learning, isn't he? Slowly but surely, he's <laughs> he's learning to, <laughs> to calm down a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah I, I was I was the same. It was just like, well, unlike the other things where there's a sort of interpretation to it, there are set things that they say you have to be within this tolerance, and um, he was just but he was within that tolerance. And what, what, what are you going to start saying now is that if you're too close to the tolerance, then you get done. <laughs> in which case you're just moving what the tolerance is. And exactly. then <laughs> eventually you might as well say, nobody is in control of their own starts. All the cars will automatically select first gear and roll off the start line when the red lights go out and then the drivers can pick up off the things so that there is no such thing as a jump start. As the only, you know, it just madness. You've only just got to say that there is a rule. He didn't break it. You know, the stewards have got the telemetry that says he didn't break it. If you don't believe that he, if you don't believe or don't agree that he did, then the sad thing is the data doesn't aid your case. We will move on. And I think that's why it was, it was kind of jokey because there's just nothing you could say about it. Really, There's no discussion point about it. Um, Correct. <laughs> it was, it was like you say, it was just, just in, in, in the, in the boundaries and, well done to Valtteri. Good start. <laughs> it was a pretty good race from Vettel, I thought. I'd kind of, I, I'd given up all hope on him um, by about sort of midpoint. I was just kind of like, well, Bottas is going to win by 30 seconds, isn't he? Um, and it seemed, it seemed, you know, whatever happened with the tyres, um, just, he just was pumped in lap after lap after lap. And it didn't, I didn't really notice the time going down, did you, until it was down to like, I, do swear, I swear he wasn't even that close with like sort of 10 laps to go or something like that. I swear he was still a, a you know, a big chunk of change behind. Um, and then he suddenly just sort of a, 
appeared to be just behind Bottas. And I was just like, oh, well, I don't know where that's come from. Surely Bottas is just about to respond, isn't he? And start, put- oh, no, he's not. Yeah, he, uh, they were focusing a lot on Hamilton and Ricardo. Um, so it did kind of just feel like all of a sudden, oh, Vettel's right behind him. Like, I haven't really been watching that so much. We didn't see quite as much of Vettel while, when he was closing the gap. So I get what you're saying. It did kind of feel like all of a sudden he just appeared from nowhere. I guess it's the second half of the race that Ferrari just um, just seemed to have some good some good race pace, I think, in the second half, which I, I'm with you. I didn't think it was possible to get that close uh, after the first 20 or 30 laps. So it gave us something to, you know, get to the... Um, Give us some excitement right to the very to the finish. Anyway, I thought I thought one more lap maybe you might have got him. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how much Bottas had left to defend, having lost the gap. He was obviously managing the tires and whatnot to get to the end of the race. So it would have been interesting to see yeah, if he yeah. had anything anything left at his disposal to to defend because Vettel never really got a, a run with the DRS or anything. Like he caught up into the DRS zone just as we were sort of on the penultimate lap. So. We were, it was one of those races that you sometimes get recently where it's like just two or three more laps was, would have been absolutely perfect. It felt like everything built to it and then it just like, oh, and that's it. Like like watching a, a film and, and, you know, turning it off like with half an hour to go, but just as the climax of the film is about to, about to come to fruition. That, that kinda, that's kind of how I felt. And, and Ricardo and Lewis was basically exactly the same as well. So it was weird. But yeah. Um, a good result for for Seb, given that Lewis was uh, had his own baller. So I think I think Vettel can be quite happy with with the performance in the end. I think he'll take that any any race where he's taken, even if it's a couple of points or five points, ten points, whatever it may be. Anything where he's taking from Lewis is a success, even if he doesn't win the race. So I think they can be quite happy. Yeah, I I think the interesting thing is, I wonder if. Um... Uh, somewhat the um, uh, the reason why he was um, suddenly on the backfield was I wonder if they were a bit more worried about Kimi Midstint and I wonder if Bottas used a bit of you know um, used a bit of the life in, in, in what he had just to throw off there being any chance of Kimmy and mm-hmm. while Sebastian was maybe taking it, taking it a bit more, st- more steady at that point. And that, that's what allowed him to do, but it was just, yeah, you're right. It's, it's just, it's been a bit of a theme, isn't it? This season, you know, um, like <laughs> well, in was, Russia and yeah, stuff. Exactly. Like you, just, you just get to the end of the race and suddenly somebody seems to have, you know, half a second, a, a, a lap quicker than the person in front of them. And there, there appears to be no real obvious explanation for, how you've gotten to that that stage, and and we shall probably never know, <laughs> but um, it did make for a and, and like you say, a lo- alongside with the sort of Ricardo Hamilton thing, it did make it seem like oh, we could have some place swaps here in the last few laps. That'd be quite entertaining. It's just kind of sad, like you say, didn't get those one or two laps we probably needed to really allow people to just kind of challenge. Um, but it was nice to see both Bottas and Vettel really. You saw how out of shape they were getting into the last few corners as they were literally yeah. wringing everything out of the car. That was that was quite quite cool to see. Um, Lewis as well when he was pushing against Ricardo yeah. was. So yeah, it was basically the exact same. Um, Lewis chasing Ricardo, Vettel chasing down Bottas. We had two 
<laughs> two uh, guys there, two, two battles there that were basically identical in terms of one man in front kind of nursing his way to the line and a faster guy trying to trying to get him right at the end and, and, and both and in both cases not just not quite managing to, to get there. What did you make of Lewis's um Lewis's race? There was a brief moment where he, he perhaps he was very, very flat like, you know, minor consideration, but maybe jumping onto a two stop, but then that never really happened because Yeah, I mean it just I think the there was a point where Massa was doing all right on the softs and I think they looked at it and went, mm, I wonder if, you know, maybe we can make this, you know, we can use more life now and have it come back to us, you know, by going on the softs because we won't lose so much time, but we can go longer, get Lewis back onto, you know, ultra softs again. Um, and he can really hit it very hard. But then I think Massa really like significantly dropped off the face of the earth place wise. And they sort of went, oh, okay, well maybe not then. Um <laughs> Because Kimmy, sorry, carry on. No, no, go, go. I was just going to say, Kimmy's race falling apart towards the end in terms of pure pace, I think. Sort of yeah. It, but, I mean, he, did, he, he tried to change the way that he yeah. was working mid-race and That's it just true. did not work out. That, um, that then, that left Lewis, you know, in a pretty comfortable fourth. So they, I guess they just thought they didn't need to do anything silly. It wasn't the worst result in the world with Bottas winning the race um, and Lewis's gearbox penalty. I don't think they'd be overly too like you know if you'd given that to Mercedes before the race they might have taken it with um you know ensuring that Vettel didn't didn't get the victory and Lewis could to finish fourth that's not the worst result for them. So yeah I guess like I said there was a there's maybe just one or two laps where I was like I wonder if he might jump onto the two here. But then that was Ricardo's sort of lack of pace towards the end and Kimmy's lack of pace towards the end kind of put paid that meant Hamilton didn't need to do anything contrary. Uh, Danny Rick, though, another podium. Yeah, uh, continuing to push himself sort of toward being a sort of person in the title fight, not quite fast enough. He really needs to be sort of being able to interject himself into that second place sort of battle, really, when when it's not first v second like it was this race. Mm-hmm. So the other ones where first has been out on their own, you know, he needs to be in that, second third battle really to 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 pick up then and then sort of finishing ahead his he's being helped really by the fact that the mercedes are kind of taking points off of each other at the moment in terms of the drivers yeah. in that with max not finishing all the time he's he's got one less person within his race sphere to worry about um so he's really just kind of been able to look forward the last you know five of seven races or whatever the ridiculous thing for max is and i think that's helped him just focus on getting places as and when he can you if, know so he gets to gets to back and there's this like well you know it's a terrible race really up until being able to just sort of scythe through positions with the car being good and, and making it up and not feeling at any, at any point he's going to run up against his own teammate that's going to almost ruin his race so that's that's the problem that Red Bull have is really is that their cars are so similar the drivers are so similar. If they get anywhere near each other on track, it's it's a nigh on impossibility for them to do anything. So, um, at the moment, with the Ferrari out on its own with Vettel and the Mercedes being one on one off, shall we say? Maybe do you know what I mean? It seems a bit like that. When Lewis has a good race, Bottas doesn't. When Bottas has a good race, Lewis doesn't mm-hmm. seem to. Generally, uh, you you have to kind of steal the points as and when you can and. 
he's doing he's doing good enough and he's obviously taking the rebel probably further than you'd expect it to be sometimes but um if he's going to really interject himself properly into the i i'm a as viable a contender as Bottas he, he needs to i mean he really needs a, a race victory doesn't he uh, over everybody just to to side that that sort of seven points on top of uh everybody who's you know who's in front of the minimum uh, and that that'll make a big difference but uh, you, I don't know about you. I don't really feel that the rebels at that place yet. It, no, you, you still don't get the impression that it can win a race on pure pace. It, um, it's if, closed down the gap somewhat, yeah. seemingly, but not completely different. If Bottas, uh, Vettel, Hamilton, and Kimi all finish the race, you'd you'd know that the Ricardo doesn't at this stage anyway. The rebel probably can't win if they all finish without any dramas. So. They, they, uh, he, he's get, he's doing well, and he's getting there. And like you say, he's he's the, he's a lively outsider of the four, but they they need a that Red Bull will need another jump forward development wise um, over the next uh, over the summer break and stuff that to to um to really to to do anything at this stage. Um, they need they, yeah. You go into a weekend and you you don't believe that that they can win a race yet on on merit and pace. No, but like you said, they have they have they have jumped forward, so a little bit more to be done though. So let's let's talk about Kimmy then. Uh, getting some stick from Martioni now, which he's had before and sort of come back from. Uh, where are we with Kimmy Raikkonen in his sort of Ferrari career? You know, people are talking about Roman Grosjean replacing him, and like, I can't. I can see it now, and I couldn't ever before. I couldn't have ever imagined a time where they'd have gone. Roman Grosjean's the guy that I want to replace Kimi Raikkonen, but I'm kind of at this point now thinking, Grosjean just, you know, if Grosjean's not going to do it now, he's probably not going to do it ever, and he's hungry for it. He's clearly hungry for it. Um, maybe that's a maybe that's what Ferrari just need is just a second yeah. drive with a bit of. Real drive, but it's so difficult to tell with Kimmy because you can never tell whether he's really motivated or not. He's exactly the same in in either case. I love Kimmy, but you could change it for Grosjean, and it wouldn't be any worse. No, I don't think like Kimmy's getting the minimum out of that car. Like, he's he's just doing pretty much what the the, the minimum is what would be expected of it. So. I'm at the point where, yeah, if you change it for Grosjean, I don't think it would get any worse, and it might get better. So it would be a swap worth making, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know. Kimmy, I love him as much as anybody else. We all know him who doesn't love Kimmy Raikkonen, but it just kind of feels like it's it's all wrapping up to a natural conclusion this season for him. Like he's, yeah, I'd be very surprised if he's in the car next year but I said that last year <laughs> and they just kept them on anyway so he just he, he doesn't feel like he can win I don't feel like he can win a race and never go into a Grand Prix weekend thinking Kimi, fancy Kimi's chances this weekend whereas Bottas in the Mercedes you, you, you feel that about and the, both the Red Bull guys even though they've not got the pace of the Ferrari and the Mercedes you still feel like if things go the way they can win a race. I just can't foresee a, a scenario where Kimi Räikkönen wins another Formula One race, which is mental to think that he's in the same car as the championship leader. So, 
uh, is he is it is it is it a motivation thing? Like you say, I don't know. I find it hard to believe that his talent is gone. He's a world champion for goodness sake. You don't just lose what he had, you know, such drastically. So it maybe it is a mental thing. I'm at the point. I'm at the point as a fan that I would like to see a change, and I love Kimi, but I would like to see. I'm just a bit bored of it. I'm a bit bored of him finishing fifth and being fourth in the constructors' championship. You know, at least if you stick Grosjean in the car, he'll. He, yeah, it might. He might write. He might write it off and put it in the wall or whatever. But then he might also, you know, do a Bottas like this weekend, where he's just on it and puts it on pole and wins the race from uh, lights out to flag. And you just have to go. Oh, Grosjean's drove the wheels off of that there. Well, you never get the impression Kimi's going to do that. You Not know, anymore, get, anyway. So they, you know, if you think about it, those two were teammates at Lotus, and they, they you know. Gave a pretty good account of, of one yeah. another in those yeah. in those cars. I, you know, I don't think Grosjean looked like so so massively I, outclassed. And I you know, and you would think he's a better driver now than he is, than he was then. For sure. Yeah, yeah, you'd so. have thought. Uh, was, you know, uh, I I think the more that they get pressured from the likes of Charles Leclerc and, and and people like that who are young and clearly super super talented. Um, then they can't just keep on avoiding making the decision, which it kind of feels like it's now like they're they're kind of happy because Kimmy doesn't complain about really being the second driver. You mm-hmm. know, officially maybe he's not, but it, he's an easy, safe option, isn't he? Yeah, he he yeah, he's not going to you know finish outside of the top five most of the time. Um, he generally finishes, um, you know, consistently. Um, Still has a good turn of speed, quite clearly. Do you know what I mean from his from his pole position? But you know, we can we complain when Massa was kind of asking about in the Ferrari. Do you know when when he was just like Kimmy's doing the same thing now? Yeah, and you're just kind of like career. Is it just is it just the sort of the thing that happens when there's a clear number one in the team and the other person just maybe just doesn't either feel that the team is going to help them be number one or that maybe they can't do anything about the person in the other car, you know, here's and a, it just mentally gets to them. Do you think um, there's any suggestion that Vettel gets, you know, superior equipment because he's he's the championship fight and, and, and Kimi can't, Get the car any further up because all so. the resources are going to Vettel. I'm not saying there is, and I don't really believe, that, but um, just an interesting thing to put out there for discussion. With Vettel obviously being the big championship fight, it's not beyond the realms of logic to suggest that they might put more into to Vettel's side of the garage, and and Kimi's pace is just what he's got to work with. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I don't. I, I, I don't I just, think that would be the case, but I wouldn't put it past Ferrari. <laughs> That's the thing. Okay. Do you know? I I can't even motivate myself to begin to think that. It, it's almost. It's like it's quite an interesting proposition, but I'm just kind of like, no. I just. I don't even want to kind of start considering that. It it doesn't feel like this fight is close enough between the two drivers that it's it, it's worth them doing it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. I think Seb is just a league ahead at the moment. It's just the way it is in that team. Uh, but it just—I just wonder how long Ferrari can 
kind of go without really doing something about it. You know, how many more seasons can they sort of just go well? Well, Vettel has doubled Kimmy's points already this season. That's quite it's a, not yeah. really good enough, is it, when you think about well, that Mercedes have two dogs in the world title yeah, well, fight, really, at this point? B- Bottas has got only 15 points less than Lewis, whereas Kimmy's got nearly 100 less than Vettel. <laughs> so... Doesn't look good, does it? I mean, I know no, I, maybe Kimmy's had a, a bit of rubbishy luck here and there, but it's still, still. Kimmy's an awful lot closer to the likes of Sergio Perez and stuff <laughs> than, he, than he is. Vettel. Yeah, that's the so, worry, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's move on from that because it's starting to depress me because I really like Kimmy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't really want to talk about him leaving F one, even get if I, at, even if I think it should pun- happen. Get him on the grid as a pundit. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Oh. <laughs> on the Skypad, Kimi Raikkonen anal- analyzing certain certain things have happened during the race and stuff. That'd be great fun. <sighs> Imagine the dynamic uh, between him and Johnny Herbert. <laughs> oh my god! I think Vettel will probably just punch him, wouldn't he? It's just be like, <laughs> shut up! <laughs> you are doing yeah. my head in. <laughs> The man we uh, that we have already mentioned could easily replace Kimi. Sixth place for Grosjean in the Haas. Good, good race for Grosjean. Yeah, best result for Grosjean for a while. Can't argue with that. Solid one, as but... well. You know, well raced. I think that was the that is the and ahead of the Force Indias, both of them. Both Force Indias. That's very. You, you wouldn't really have expected that. Um, who have generally no. the best of the rest, and he managed to stay on the lead lap, which is the only guy outside of the Ferraris and Mercedes and Ricardo who was on the lead lap. So, well done. Yeah. Well done, Grosjean. Good, uh, good weekend. No brake troubles. Oh, not in the race. He was still having them in, them, <laughs> in practice. Them he was still. He was off at every corner. It's, <laughs> it's like not stopping. He's been, he's been having brake troubles since 1999. It feels like unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's on his third brake compound, like of the season already. This is, is he? There must be something that. It must be driving. It must be his style or something. It's something about he, him and that car and the brake by wire system on it that just like does not work. Maybe he just maybe he really loves stamping really hard on the brakes and the brakes are just like no, no, don't want, do not want, give up. Um, Perez and Ocon in seventh and eighth. Um, they didn't crash, so you know they they're one up from the previous race. Um, what did you make of? It was, did you hear the two different sides to the fallout from Baku? No, go on. And I, this I, is brilliant. Ocon was literally quoted in an interview, heard it on the Skyrunner saying, uh, "Yeah, the team decided it was, um, you know, partly my fault, partly Sergio's fault, um, you know, and we've just been kind of told uh, not to do it again." Uh, and then, like Perez was. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, the, the, team, the team have had a word with, uh, um, I was going to call him Sebastian then. Thanks, Carly. Um, oh, I can't remember his, I can't Esteban. remember his first name. Esteban. As soon as I start thinking Sebastian, no, it's not Sebastian. I can't remember what I'm supposed to remember it, it actually is. Um, uh, it was basically, yeah, Perez was basically kind of saying, yeah, it's Esteban's fault and we as a team need to stop that from happening. You know, he, he needs, you know, he's been told to, you know kind of stop what he's doing so like I don't know whether they had two completely different like deeps where they weren't even in the same room and they told one the other and one something else um but it was really weird um yeah that's just Perez though like I do imagine that that he's kind of like that I don't know I'm just like 
He doesn't ever. He's as bad as he's picked that up from Felipe Massa. Felipe Massa would never admit that he's ever done anything wrong in any situation whatsoever. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just the way it is. And Perez is exactly the same. And it was hilarious about him talking about like a young driver who needs to not be so aggressive with his teammate when you consider that he, you know, he was running into Jensen Button at his time at uh, at McLaren and getting exactly the same thing said to him. It's just really, it's really funny to hear him of all people complain about the aggressiveness of a young inexperienced teammate when he is practically the poster boy for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Good enough result though. Um, I mean, been, yeah, it's good, good for Foss, not, to, not to finish ahead of Romain Grosjean, I don't think. I think they would have expected to have the pace to beat the Haas, but in general, good result. Uh, but I think the, the Haas was good here because Magnussen was was fairly high up the pecking order before he, yeah. he pulled over. So, you know, I wonder what that tells us about the Haas as a car. That would be the interesting thing, is it? You know, because... Straight line speed, but not but a lot of... But, but it's not either, is it? Because Austria, half you know, the McLaren is all right at Austria. So it, it isn't, a, you know, power power stuff. But the, there doesn't seem to be enough curves to make it a, a technical circuit either. So middling, <laughs> somewhere in the middle. I guess. Which They'll be happy the Force India guys to at least finish ahead of the two Williamses who are in the 10th. But where they started on the grid, that's not a bad result. <laughs> that's a very good result for Williams when you consider, yeah. it's uh, No idea what happened in qualifying. No. I think they just, they did not get the setup of that right for outright pace. Yeah. Um, but during the race, that doesn't, that sometimes just doesn't matter. Uh, you know, and the, the general pace of the car was enough to take them through the, Renaults, the McLarens, and the Saubers, and the Toro Rossos. Um, all... Bit of chaos Actually, we don't know about the Toro Rossos, do we? Because realistically, <laughs> one didn't finish, and one was very, very far down the pecking order after being a naughty boy. So, um... <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, the yeah, the first corner incident helped the Williams jump a few places up as well. Um, yeah, so a good enough result. And Stroll, uh, another points finish. And holding off Julian in eleventh, which was kind of the battle of the the under pressure guys. Obviously, Stroll did his stock uh, a massive favour by his good result in Baku. But mm-hmm. before Baku, they were the two guys who were they could be the ones that are under a bit of pressure. So that's a, a small feather in the cap of Lance to to hold off Julian at the end. Uh, and a good result for for Julian. That's probably his. I mean, he made a successful race because we didn't hear anything of him during the whole thing. So he didn't That's crash. He wasn't crashed into. Didn't break down. Didn't crash into a barrier. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> finished That's one side needs. outside the points. Finished ahead of his teammate. Yep. Probably for the first time this season, I would have thought. Uh, can't recall off the top of my head, unless when they've both finished. I think generally Hulkenberg's finished ahead of Julian. <laughs> Usually by quite a large, large yeah. margin. So yeah, he yeah. does need. He did need a, a quiet race in that regard, Julian, but he, he could have done with a point. He really could have done with uh, with getting Lance uh, and getting his first point on the board. As soon as he gets that particular uh, monkey off his back at the moment. Yeah, you, you, you kind of just don't want to be left with Marcus Ericsson, don't you? you know? And and at the moment, obviously Stoffel, but <laughs> you get the feeling that McLaren might possibly be able to sneak a point or two somewhere in the sort of latter third of the 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 racing at, at the odd racetrack so there's a you know there's a chance for van dorn to score a point ericsson won't and fairline scored his lucky point of the season already so um or lucky points of the season i guess um actually no wait does no ericsson has points doesn't he he has a 
a point? No, Marcus doesn't have any points. Are you sure? Verlein. I thought because they did, yep. they got a double points. Did they not? Oh no, he didn't. It was Verlein who's finishing the points last race, wasn't it? You remember the there was supposed to swap. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Swap, of course. Yeah. <laughs> without any points are um, Stoffel, Marcus, and Julian. I've got none. And I'm just looking at the table here. Danny Kvyat's only got four points for Toro Rosso. He's had a some serious, season, he though, some like... serious uh, results soon as well. Been been told that he's uh, going to be in the Toro Rosso next year, though. So, I mean, that should do his confidence a boost, but he really needs a couple of good results, and this yeah. weekend didn't help. Just you just don't know. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to him because it's worth talking about there. Um, Van Dorn in a very credible twelfth because yeah. um, drive through penalty for blue flags, which is the most ridiculous penalty I've ever uh, like. I'm not just saying because it it's a McLaren, but when we're giving drive-through penalties for blue flag incidents, th- those those are so so clearly have to be five-second time penalties. Agreed. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's so ridiculous to potentially ruin somebody's race. Um, it's like and, twenty uh, seconds. You know, that's, a, that's too harsh. Twenty-second penalty is too harsh. It, I mean, it is. It's just it's just ridiculous, and um, it. It totally screws up somebody's race. And in Van Dorn's case, he what he was trying to do was hang it out for as long as possible because he was trying to make make some time uh, without having to lose it. So you know, yes, it's the penalty's correct, and I'm not I'm not suggesting that he didn't deserve it. But the the sort of penalty for it was just suddenly like, you know, what you know, unless he's not actually ever getting out the way. Like if he's holding up the whole entire race behind him, okay. swerving across the track, then yes, you know, black flag it will give him a drive through to get him out of the way, but. You know, uh, it was just ridiculous. But he had that, and he st- and he did do a two-stop race, <laughs> and he still finished ahead of Hulkenberg. Like, yeah, it was that's... one of these weird weekends for Hulkenberg where just nothing, nothing went for him at all. Uh, so Hulkenberg can can throw them in now and again. What else is interesting that Van Dorn still finished comfortably ahead of both of the Sauber's despite yeah. all of that as well. Like, fair enough. Uh... If- the McLaren, the McLaren was was probably having its best race of the season so far. It um, did kind of feel that way, certainly um, in qualifying and things as well. It did kind of feel like there'd been a bit of an improvement. So, and it, it is something to do with how Austria works because they were good last season in Austria when the car wasn't at its best. Um, you know, uh, Alonso had a good a good race there last season. So it's obviously a track that does, for whatever reason, suit them, despite the fact that it should really be a power circuit in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it's, it's, strange, it's, it's good to kind of see that, because that's the Spec 3 engine as well. So, like, he did a whole race, um, you know, and probably given that he did three stops, probably raced it fairly hard. So hopefully in terms of reliability, that just gives them the impetus to push on and, and you know, They'll take penalties in Silverstone for bringing new parts, I'm sure, but at least they can sort of say, right, this bit seems to work. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully that's a bit of a push for them to start really making inroads to being ninth, tenth in races, which is, I think, their next goal, isn't it? You know, they're, they're probably around that um, 11th, 12th, 13th kind of position at the moment, give or take how the Toro Rosso's are turning up. Um, certainly well ahead of the Saubers now. Um, so the next the next thing is being regular last points picker-uppers, <laughs> if yep. that's a thing. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I guess we'll see after sort of Silverstone and the, that, that sort of mid-European race whether they they can really bring anything to, to help them out there. 
Um, it'd be interesting. I don't understand what happened to Hulkenberg. I didn't see him in anything. I didn't see him get involved in anything. He didn't get a puncher as far as I could tell or any, or anything like that. He didn't stop an inordinate number of times. I don't understand how he's ended up 13th behind somebody who stopped one more time than him and had an extra time through the pits. I'm honestly not sure. <laughs> uh, and, I'm, I'm... and certainly the Salbers have got to look at that and just go, well, that's the end of our season. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If they can still maintain that kind of gap ahead of us when we're running our perfect race strategy. I I don't know what they're going to expect for the rest of the season. Um, <laughs> yeah, less said about them, the better, really. Um, actually, let's talk about Sauber. Uh, F- Fred Vasser, now in charge, has replaced Manisha Kaltenborn, yep. uh, ex-Renault. Did a good job sort of transitioning them through Lotus to Renault and then Cyril Abu Butt, or whatever his name is. Uh, you called him something. I can't remember what it was. No, I can't remember. Abu Ball or something like that. You can never pronounce his name. Sort of came in and ousted him. Uh, do you think that's a good good appointment for Sauber, or do you think that you know it almost doesn't matter who they put in place there? <laughs> you know, they could put Ross Braun and Jean Todd in charge of that team, and it'd be exactly where it was. I mean, there's definitely an element of that. I, I, I think Manisha was bad, so I think it will be an improvement on what they had. Um, I mean, at the end well, of the day, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. what expectations has he got? Exactly. If they finished last, that's where they expect to finish. If they finish anywhere above last, it's the biggest bonus that they could ever, you know, they could ever expect. So he certainly can't be worried about his performance reviews come the end of the season. Uh, yeah, they, they, they can't, it can't get any worse, put it that way. Um, <laughs> no. So, uh, he might do a good job I don't think it really matters at the end of the day. You you, you change the team principle is like changing, I don't know, a, a wheel nut. It's, it's not going to make the whole package any better, I don't think, really, when the car's so no so poor. So They're not making terrible strategy decisions, really, are they? It's not That's not where the, the problem lies. They just can't build a very quick car. <laughs> so maybe next year... They could, uh, they might improve, but certainly for the rest of this season, I, I don't see how they're they're going to be anything other than than the backmarkers. Uh, and last, and certainly very least to the legion of Dutch fans in the uh, Osterreich ring, uh, uh, Aye, yeah, the Mr. torpedo, <laughs> <laughs> the Russian <laughs> torpedo. Oh dear. Yeah. I don't think anybody has any um, complaints with the penalty. Well, I, I guess the only thing is to say is if, you know, if people are baying for Sebastian's blood for a tap at 40 miles an hour, steaming into into turn one with all four tyres smoking behind you and scything through two other competitors, like, Roman Groshen got a race ban for that, basically. Didn't he? Oh, Roman, Roman got it for doing it all the time, though. Well, well <laughs> I don't that think Kimmich's that far off of it now, though, is he? Not... It was very much a totting up process with Grosjean. There was multiple incidents, I think, which led to that. But, yeah, Fiat, he must be... He must have penalty points as well. Like, he can't be that far away from his, his 12 points on the licence. Uh, I mean, off the top of my head, I don't know how many he's got. But 
it's certainly not the first time we've seen him involved in an incident or two. So I just felt that though, unlike the ones where he sort of clattered Vettel and stuff like that, where it was just you know, um, you know, it's a single wing wheel locks up on the inside of a corner and stuff, and it just means you don't slow down quite as much as we were thinking. He just steamed in, threw on the anchors, and hoped he slowed down in time and didn't, and collected two other drivers. It was the kind of crash I used to always do on the video game. I used to always end it's up. It's what you do, that. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. When, when there's no consequences and your car doesn't break and you just people just bounce off and fall off the track, you go, oh, that's all right then. It's a it's a Mario Kart move, isn't it? When you yeah, <laughs> you bump somebody at the edge of Rainbow Road and you go, well, see you later. Doesn't you know? <laughs> I've slowed it's down Mario. a bit, but you're gone. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> well, it was very poor. It looked very amateur. Um, and again, I've talked about him earlier. Four points only got this season. Carlos has got 29. So he's been well and truly demolished by science. So he needs some. He needs a couple of good point scoring results sometime soon. That said, Carlos Sainz didn't do himself any favours this weekend with the Red he's, Bull higher-ups. I was going to say, he seems to be, he's developed a bit of attitude this last couple. There was a couple of radio messages as well over the course of the race. But, well, the, I thought the weirdest thing was that the quotes that they sort of put to Christian Horner and obviously Helmut Marko. I swear he meant he said those like about four races ago that he said he wasn't going to be in the Toro Rosso for like 2018. I don't understand how it's only just come to Christian Horner's attention now. <laughs> like, does he like not read any other Formula One publication where that quote was repeated? Doesn't watch back any any commentary or anything like that to have to have heard it before. Um like I, I literally swear that that quote is is at least two races old minimum that he said that. Um, I don't think it's a particularly unreasonable thing to say. He's got a bit faster car, like, and you don't really know what context it was said in. You know, they they pull those kind of quotes out of big, huge, long things that the driver said. You know, he could have said before that, "My hope is that I won't be in the Toro Rosso in 2018," and they've just gone, "Ah." He won't be in the Toro Rosso in 2018, oh, and that it. suddenly becomes the quote, doesn't it? And um, but he was very quickly slapped down by both um, Marco. Christian Horno and Horno, <laughs> Christian Horno, God, in those later hosting as well. Um, oh, Christian yeah. Horner and Helmut Marco sort of both very publicly said, "No, you're going to be in a Toro Rosso next season. Shut up." Uh, <laughs> Which uh, was kind of like, like I could kind of understand Christian because he was put on the spot. I don't really understand what Helmut Marko decided he wanted to shove his tuppence worth in, but you know, that's Helmut he Marko that. for you, isn't it? Really, <laughs> pretty much. Um, so, signs, uh, engine failure or crash? Uh, te- te- uh, technical uh, hydraulics, maybe something like that. Maybe it was something, wasn't it? Uh, Magnuson also with something, something that I think turned out to be a washer basically um, sliced open a pipe somewhere in the middle of his car. Brilliant. Mm. <laughs> uh, his, little, um, his little radio message, the, the bleep machine didn't quite manage to catch it either. Did you see that? Oh, that was hilarious. Yeah, he was yes. swearing on the radio and the bleep machine never caught it. So poor David Croft had to apologise for, uh, for the foul use of language from young K-Mag. We, um, I did ask whether that maybe that particular phrase um, meant something else in in Danish. Maybe it's it's a you know the the um, radio the radio sensor guy was was kind of like being 
sort of culturally um sensitive culturally aware <laughs> you know saying oh well he didn't he didn't really swear in danish it, it means um you know loose will nut or uh uh anything else but i'm afraid that uh frederick bjorn bjorn um at f j o r d v e j 73 i don't know how to pronounce that sorry has confirmed um, that unfortunately it doesn't mean anything in danish <laughs> so he really did just swear um, bad bad boy kevin naughty um well it's not his fault is it really because all the other drivers swear their heads off and they managed to uh to, to catch it but um, <laughs> the bleep machine was away to the vending machine i think <laughs> he just missed it completely yeah. missed it um and the other two retirees were taken out of the first corner poor max for the fifth time is it in the seven races? uh yeah not for, or dnfs wasn't it five yeah. and five and seven six and seven it's really like rotten luck. Really, really rotten luck. Silverstone coming up, be another one who needs a big result. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Alonso, you know, looked like he was had the the chance to maybe be if Kevin was in twelfth, then he probably might well have been around ninth or tenth, and just didn't get the chance to show it. So that's that's a shame. Um, Max um, was saying though that they were having trouble anyway, even before he got. Yes, he didn't. He said. Out. On the grid, he felt that, or going up to the grid, that he didn't mean he didn't feel that everything was going right anyway. Um, slow start off the line, which caused them to get into the carnage, into that, that middle of the sort of stuff. Um, I'd like to just, uh, sorry, carry on. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, just not, it just sums up his luck in the last um, the last six weeks. He's just had nothing, you know, if he had no luck at all, it would be better off. Uh, that did, however, lead to um, a tweet which won um, Girl in the Pit Lane's uh, funniest tweet of the race. So, big up us, I guess. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, at pit lane underscore girl who, who does a, a funniest tweets uh, sort of uh, combination blog uh, once the race is done. Uh, we've come second, I think, a couple of times. Third, I think a joint fifth. Uh, so, we're getting better, you know. Um, uh, trying to to find the most appropriate gifts for uh <laughs> moments of the race um i think what that that particular tweet was um scenes from the dutch border uh, and it was a picture of a like an indian train with all the people sort of hanging on top of it going, <laughs> go, going past one after the other the poor fans had come all that way to watch the boy. <laughs> it was almost typical, really, wasn't it? That like the sea of orange, and that he gets like one corner. And I think that 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 corner where he spun out, where you know he, he was out, was the um, was the stand that they were mostly all in. So they like they like properly horror happened right in front of their very eyes, so to speak. <laughs> oh well, that's Formula One for you. I thought we were going to have a repeat of like the uh, crying Ferrari boy, but it was going to be like a fully grown Dutch man. <laughs> Max have to go and see him after the <laughs> race. Him, like, give, give him a hat and an ice cream. <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's all better now. But he's got to do it. He's got to do it for like thirty thousand <laughs> Dutch guys, all, all in the paddock, like all lined up one after the other for their for their cap and uh, uh, cap and hug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that so was that, that. That was that. Uh, not a great race. Could have been worse. It wasn't the worst race that I've ever seen, but you know, Russia was worse than this by a long, long way. Yeah, I, I cannot take to that track whatsoever. So, um, Silverstone next day. In yeah, and it's a, a quick turnaround. We've got a one, not just a back to backer. So 
plenty to talk about Silverstone from a political point of view at the moment with the ongoing well, dispute. They have they have called in the the breaking the contract. It was very interesting that as soon as they did that, that um, Liberty re- basically released a statement saying um, they fe- you know that they felt that that was um, not right. You know that, that yeah yeah that's see- not what Silverstone should have done. Um, and that the you know if it's a negotiating tactic, it's not going to work because, you know, obviously if they do it for Silverstone, then every single other track that's got a crappy Bernie deal is going to do, you know, exercise whatever clauses they've got to get out and hope to renegotiate. But I wonder how much of that is a public. We have to say these things, and actually, in reality, they're quite happy to renegotiate the deal. Do you know what I mean? Like they go, I would hope so. I, I I'm I'm firmly. I think a deal will get done. I think I said this before last week, but it benefits everybody to get a deal done. You know, every, yeah. everybody wants Silverstone on the calendar. Every, there's nobody who's involved in the game not not wanting Silverstone to to stay on the calendar. So we will. I expect a deal to get done. Um, it might take a while, but these things do. These negotiations are going to be ongoing. I think so, but I think I do. I do expect it to get resolved. Yeah, that that is my expectation is that they actually will negotiate a better deal. Now I was <clears throat> I was thinking about this and I did I did tweet it out, but what I want from Liberty to or to see from Liberty is instead of saying you will pay us an in, you know, inordinate amount of money uh for the privilege of hosting a Formula One race, um, and then it's up to you to try and make a profit regardless of whatever you've been charged. I'd much rather Liberty said, um, we will take a flat 25% of all profit earned across an entire race weekend. Um, yeah, I like and, that and, idea as well. And events before. So the better you get, the more money that we, we get. But it still also means that the better that you do, <clears throat> you keep more of the product, the, the profits from it so you can maintain your operating costs. If you want to try and be clever about it and not make lots of profit so you don't have to pay us on it, then you don't make lots of profit, do you? Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day. Um, but it it should then at least allow circuits to make the improvements to themselves. Like Silverstone's been crying out for um, just tying up around the edges. You know, it's a great racetrack surrounded by good good stands in the main. But then once you get back from that, it's a sort of fairly tatty um, tarmac out of road, split with bits of um, sort of dirt and stone. It's not. It doesn't feel great. It doesn't really sort of feel. You, you, have you ever been like backstage in a theater or something like that? And when you suddenly see the backstage of somewhere, it kind of loses a little bit of the magic yeah. because mm-hmm. you kind of go, oh, here's all the gubbins. You don't see that on the TV cameras. That's mm-hmm. what Silverstone feels a little bit like to me. It feels that kind of once, you, once you're out of the grandstands and you're not watching the superb racetrack and the, the racing that goes on it, it just feels a little bit shabby around the thing. I think, you know, they've made a lot of improvements, but like they built that big sort of in, in pit um, garage area and stuff, but it doesn't really do anything for the fans particularly. Do you know what I mean? If the outside of Silverstone is just a load of um, burger vans and a, f- a few stalls uh, selling merchandise, that's not really a, a sort of great fan experience. Um when you compare it to you know what was going on in and around Austria, in and around a lot of the other things where there's there's sort of it seems to be a lot of stuff going on 
around it. And especially with Silverstone, because it's in the middle of nowhere and it's not near anything. It's not like you can wander off from the track into the town and then come back again or anything like that. You're just in sure. a, yeah. you're in a, you're in an airfield in the, in the middle of the English countryside. So they need to try harder to make that fan experience just that little bit more luxurious is wrong, but it just needs to make it feel like, you know, we care a little bit about what, what your experience of Formula One is outside of uh, what goes on on the track a, a bit more. Because, um, you know, they, they absolutely should be able to do that with how well that race is attended, even with the stupidly high prices that they, they charge. Do you know what I mean? Silverstone isn't one of these tracks where you see tons of empty grandstands. You know, the place is full every race because it's the, it's held in a country with probably the most passionate motorsport fans in the world. I'd, I'd, I'd put British fans up with Italian fans, you know, for that sort of, you know, yep. the Tifosi in general. Yeah, I think that's Especially fair. as a general nation for general motorsport. It's like the Italians love Ferrari, but uh, you, you wonder outside of Ferrari how much they really care. Whereas the Brits are into who they're into. They are into supporting what they, they like. They don't just say, oh, I'm British, therefore I support Lewis Hamilton, although some do, you know, or I'm British, so therefore I support McLaren or, or whatever. You know, they support who they want to support and they'll be proud about who they who they want to support um, kind of regardless of, of what's going on. And I think... <clears throat> Formula One doesn't support those fans necessarily very well by the fact that the British Grand Prix is so expensive and so, you know, kind of lackluster outside of what goes on on track. And even with what goes on track, it's not like there's tons of other stuff that happens on track in between all the other racing and bits and pieces. And it certainly could. There's other, you know, there's definitely more that they could be doing on track in between even the support races. Plus, Silverstone's got, lots of little tracks elsewhere around the outside of it. So why can't there be stuff going on there? Why can't there be little mini, you know, mini racing stuff there showing off either at the F1 drivers driving silly cars or, um, you know, the, the junior formula guys all r- racing around in, I don't know, Citroen two CVs or something, <laughs> something ridiculous that you could just go and watch quite happily for, you know, mm-hmm. an hour or so in between, in between racing support stuff or, you know, you don't want to watch F2, so you go and wander about and you can watch some silliness going on somewhere else if you if you wanted to do it. It just doesn't seem to happen at Silverstone. I don't, I don't really know why, but I have a feeling a lot of it is down to where Silverstone reinvests the money that it, the, you know, the amount of money that it does make back on a race weekend. Um, and I think if it had a deal where there was the chance to invest more, it, they probably would. Do you know what I mean? They could make the parking better. They could make access better. Um, they could do tons of stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, with this negotiation that that, that looks like happening now, um, might in the long run uh, hopefully lead to, like you say, an improvement in facilities. So yeah, on the face of it, the headline is going to be British Grand Prix potentially cancelled, and that's very scary. But I think actually in the long run we might end up with uh, something better to come out of all this. I would hope so. And I think to kind of go on from that, we should probably talk about uh, F1 London Live uh, hashtag. Yeah, I think that was on tonight. Yeah, I never watched any of it. 
I was a bit gutted because I was working in London today and we actually finished in enough time that I could have probably wandered over to Trafalgar Square and taken a look, but I'm I'm lugging like a 20 stone laptop bag through the heat of London on the tube and stuff. I was just kind of like, uh, God, I'll go and keep up with it on Twitter or, or whatever. Um, but it looked it looked really good. Um, you know, as as good as Formula One cars look as they're zooming up and down streets with absolutely no room to do anything. Um, but all the drivers were doing, you know, I think they've been told, no, you're not supposed to do donuts, but they all did and, and all that sort of kind of stuff. Um, you know, Stoffel was driving the MP6 and um, Rani Arnoux was there in one of the old Renaults. Uh, JB was doing something in a, in a double-seater car. Um, all that stuff. 19 out of 20 drivers attended. Mm. Oh, let me think. Who, 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 was the, who was the 20th who did not? <laughs> on his holes apparently was that a triple world champion by any chance the British triple triple world champion uh, I on a two day break when there's a four week break coming up in about two weeks <laughs> yeah that, that's the bit I think I don't I don't really understand is that um, he probably has a a better break coming up Excuse me. <laughs> um, what was what was really so important about this weekend, in particular? I'd kind of like it's his life, and you know he chooses to live. He chooses to go go on holiday. Then he's you know he's absolutely entitled to. He's not contractually obliged to attend this event. And I'm I'm not saying um, as a fan I have any particular right to tell him that he can't go on holiday if he chooses to. That's that's kind of not the point. But I'm just kind of thinking. If you have the choice, which he clearly does, do you know what I mean? The man has a private jet. He, he's not booked his tickets on, you know, lateflights.com six weeks ahead to try and save him a bit of cash. You know, <laughs> he goes where he wants, when he wants. He's chosen not to attend this event whilst everybody else has made the effort to. Whether you, you know, think he should or shouldn't have doesn't even, you know, his personal choice, but he's got to live with the he's kind of going to have to live with the flat that he's got from this and it was very interesting because Nico Rosberg was on stage mm-hmm. and he said who do you want to see win Sebastian and there was a big cheer and then he said Lewis and the cheer wasn't that wasn't louder or didn't seem that much louder but very interestingly the Sebastian cheer was much higher pitched than the Lewis one and I find that was very interesting because it, so either, he's it suggesting means, that the female fans are supporting Vettel. Either women and kids prefer Sebastian, and there's, and I'd kind of hate to say it like this because it kind of makes you like you're, you're pigeonholing all of Lewis's fans like this. But does it? Would it not surprise you that uh, the sort of uh, how should I how should I put this? The sort of frothing fanatic Lewis fans would all turn out to be uh, men sat in front of their keyboards being you know keyboard warriors and and all the bits and pieces like it kind of wouldn't surprise it surprised me at all if that's that's actually how the fan base is split um but it was it's it's notable it's so notably deeper it's just like oh okay well there's interesting and the fact that in london uh at an f1 event lewis hamilton can't get an obvious better reaction 
than Sebastian Vettel, a, a German in a Ferrari. Like, very surprising. <laughs> it isn't just it? doesn't have the best sort of history with, with British fans in reality as a combination. Um, and I just I wonder how many sort of of the the uh, kind of media types who seem to have decided that the Lewis hype train is so big and so all-consuming that that's what they pin their masts to. I wonder if they will start to roll back from that a little bit and start realizing that, you know, especially if they're in the British media, that not everybody in Britain is a Lewis Hamilton fan, that they're not all cheering for Lewis because he's British. Some people might be. And some people are just genuine Lewis Hamilton fans, and I have no problem with that. I'd like to point that out right now. What I have a problem with is the people who bring you F1 in the media, whether that's Sky Sports, whether that's papers, whether that's independent journalists, um, who very clearly continually take one side of a narrative and push that one uh, at every opportunity. Uh, Some are better than others, you know, some of them let it leak through every now and again. They'll show their personal colours rather than trying to be objective. Um, but there's some very clear kind of, you know, uh, there's some very clear bias that sits there. And I just wonder if things, little things like that will just start to uh, make them change their mind somewhat about how heavily they should lean on Lewis to for, for ratings, shall, shall we say. You know, the, the easy story is to push the pro-Lewis story because that will get them lots of views and lots of bits and pieces, uh, which it may still do, possibly. I don't know. But And on top of that, I'd like to point out that the reason I can say all that and whilst still put having my, you know, bringing my own personal biases to all the conversations that we have, which I like to think we're very honest about, Sean, that we both say <laughs> who we support and where, you know, when we watch a race, who we're rooting for. Yeah, of course, um, we don't have to be neutral. <laughs> no, I'm not a journalist. I don't know if you are. Have you have you done a degree in journalism? Uh, no, I have not. E- ever worked for a major media publication? No, I have not. Do you get paid for being on this podcast? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That's, that's I get paid. I, I get paid in beers and burgers when we hang out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty much what it comes down to, really. Um, do you know what I mean? This podcast makes no money. I, I, we don't put adverts on there. Uh, the only sponsorship I've ever asked is from Camden Town Brewery because I love their beer and I just really want them to sponsor me so that they can send me beer. It's got nothing to do with <laughs> any kind of anything else. I don't want them to pay me for the show. I just would like some Camden Hells, please. Um, <laughs> you know, we don't have a Patreon. We don't even offer people the chance to give us money. We just kind of go and do it. And I think the, the, the upshot of that is is that if we want to bring our own personal biases into it, so long as we're honest about it, I think that's fine because I'm I'm not a journalist and I don't consider it is. And I don't consider my opinion to be more important because I'm in F1 or I do an F1 podcast or any of those bits and pieces. My opinion is my opinion as right, wrong, stupid, outrageous, uh, aggravating as it may be, it's only my opinion at the end of the day. And your opinion is only your opinion. And if you agree with us, that's really nice. If you disagree with us, that's absolutely fine as well. Just don't be nasty about it. <laughs> Just don't don't be a douche if we say something about Lewis and you don't like it, or we say something about Sebastian and you don't like it. Hell, if if Carly can stick with us after all the things we've said about Jolien, then... 
there isn't a fan of a driver in the world <laughs> who can't say that they can't put up with the things that we say about the other drivers on the grid. <laughs> fair enough. I think that's fair. I think, yes. Ali, I agree with you. Like, I mean, when you say we're not journalists, you know, we're just fans, fans of the sport, fans of certain teams and fans of certain drivers, you know, so there's nothing to be, you know, nothing to be ashamed or hide hide that fact no reason to. no you know i'm not you know i don't want to be sort of kind of po-faced about it or anything like that but that's that's what we said we, we you know when we said the, the the podcast one of our one of our strap lines is by fans for fans you know it's designed to be you know the kind of talk that that fans have that fans can listen to and identify with because it's not that guy who gets a media pass to every event and you know can wander into the pit lane whenever they they like know all the people backstage that can wander up to uh Ron Dennis and say hey Ron how's things going what's going on with this or they can wander up to um Martin Brundle and talk to him about what's going on or Eddie Jordan or that you know they they've got all these people that they they know everybody by first name or anything like that you know <laughs> we can't we can't go to we can't go to any grand prix we can't afford to go to any grand prix let alone wander down the pit lane and ask people questions you know so uh, I, I like to think that what we, what we bring is is a fan's point of view in a way that that brings some discussion to 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 f1 and and people enjoy listening to us knock ideas back and forth and if that maybe brings something new to them that's good or if it maybe gives them a different view on something that they were thinking about that's good or you know even if it challenges what they think and they don't like it but at least they listen because we try and do it in a a, a good and entertaining way then it's all good so all, all we're here for really is just to try and put out what we think and hope people like it i feel i have to say this because i've spent a lot of time <laughs> talking to actual formula one journalists about certain aspects of what formula one has been going on and how they've been approaching a certain specific subject from a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and I wonder if people sometimes read the tweets and feel like we're, you know, we're lunatics bashing everybody, but you know, it's, it's only to, to challenge a, a, a perceived notion is where it comes from. That's, that's all. I wanted to get that off my chest, John. I hope I have. Fair enough. I'm glad you, I'm glad you have. You shouldn't bottle things up, man. <laughs> no, my therapy session is over now, so that's that's fine. We'll go back to slagging off Formula One drivers now, shall we? That sounds, that sounds better. Well, um, we've had a right good uh, couple of right tangents this evening. <laughs> it's but, definitely yeah, <laughs> gone off on one. <laughs> but that's fine. That's what you know. That's what we're here for. <laughs> that's why we do it. That is why we do it. Um, and I think that probably with that little rant, mini rant over, takes us to the end of the podcast. Uh, so. As always, thank you very much for listening. We do very, very much appreciate every single person who downloads the, uh, the podcast. Um, and we especially like talking to you. And the best way to talk to us is through Twitter. Uh, and our Twitter address is at Last Lap Podcast. Uh, our web address is www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. We are on iTunes and TuneIn and uh, Stitcher. Uh, yeah, we're on all of these things. There's... No reason at all why you can't listen to us and get involved and interact. And, you know, we're looking to to try and get guys on the show and girls on the show, I should say. You know, expect to hear some people popping up that you may have seen us talking to in the near future. 
Um, so just know that uh, if you want to talk to us about anything, get in touch with us on Twitter and, you know, maybe you'll be popping on the show to refute some of our ridiculous <laughs> accusations and theories and opinions. Uh, so we, we look forward to hearing from you soon. So, yeah, thanks very much for listening. We shall see you after Silverstone in the next couple of days. Uh, thanks very much and goodbye. Goodbye.